My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. All right, it's good to be back. Uh, welcome to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. I'm the host and my co-host today is Ted Gray. Uh, the Prison Post is sponsored by the Crop Organization. Ted is our executive director. Good to have you with us today, Ted. Thank you, Rich. Good to be here. For sure. We have a, a, a dynamic guest today, one of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life uh, in just a short couple of months that I've known her. Uh, I've experienced so much value that I can't stop bragging about her to my mom and to my family and, and, and to people that I know. You have to meet this woman. You have to hear her speak. Um, she's just uh, a brilliant and so loving and kind and charismatic. Um, pretty much uh, somebody I aspire to, to be like. And every time she talks, I get quiet because I want I want to just sponge it all up. But uh, I want to share something, something, uh, Christina. I'm dying to bring you in, <laughs> but I want to share a little bit of a formal introduction about you today for our guests, so they can know uh, who who we have here with us as, um, uh, today. So our guest today is Christina Lee. She's the Chief Executive Officer for Paradigm 360 Coach Training. It's an LLC. She has a wealth of experience in corporate and nonprofit management, fundraising, and development. She's also skilled in building teams uh, through behavioral management assessment-based training programs. I know this because we went through it. It was uh, uh, an amazing training. <laughs> uh, developing, She has developed over 4,500 leaders within a 10-year span. Christina is a native of Oakland, California. She always says the West Coast is the best coast. I don't want to steal her line, but uh, she's not out here in the West right now, but she still remembers it and loves it. Uh, she has a wonderful husband of more than 34 years, six adult children. Uh, she likes to say they're all out of the house. Uh, she's a national speaker, teacher, executive coach, and serves an assistant, as an assistant chaplain to NFL families through the uh, Professional Football Players Association. Uh, Mother's Association. She's a chaplain for a local police department and serves as an e EOA board member for one of the world's largest entrepreneurial organizations. One of her greatest joys in life is her involvement with the Paradigm 360 Young Entrepreneurs Program, a program that develops and prepares young, young talent for future marketplace leadership. In her spare time, she enjoys reading. She's talked about reading two or three, four books a week, uh, podcasting, also podcasting and vacationing on California beaches. Welcome to the Prison Post, Christina. Wow, thank you so much, Richard. Who's that person you were talking about? I tell you, <laughs> I really appreciate that. I, I want our audience to know I've never read as many books as you. I, I had to live a lifetime to be able to catch up with Richard Morales. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a, I got to live a lifetime to catch up with, with Ted here. I thought I was doing something with the, the amount of books I read until I met him. But uh, it, it, it is, a, it is a, so wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, I'm just looking forward to getting in and sharing how you've added value to our life. And, um, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going turn to it, turn it over right now to Ted. He has a, a place he'd like to start in this conversation with you, and we'll get going. Hi, Christina. It's good to see you. Hey, Ted. How are you? One of I'm my favorite people. I'm doing well. So <laughs> I just want to start off by... Uh, giving you an opportunity to share a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, 
how you came to be where you are today, the leader that you are today. And if you'd share a little bit about your history and, and just give uh, the audience a, a little bit of insight into how you came to be the person that you are today. Absolutely. You know, I was born and raised in, in Oakland, California, and uh, I'm the baby of 11 and um, two great parents went to private school most of my life, parochial school. Uh, and, um, you know, and spent a lot of time growing up uh, having an early desire for entrepreneurship. I was a big fan and participant of programs like Junior Achievement that kind of channeled me in the direction of entrepreneurship and leadership and uh, pretty much was always outspoken uh, as, as a young person. And I think that kind of navigated me. Uh, through the waters of where I am today. Uh, met my husband at an early uh, age. Uh, we married uh, fairly early. I think I was about 21 years old. And uh, we're, this matter of fact, next week, we'll be s- celebrating uh, 34 years of being together and 31 years of marriage. Uh, with Congratulations. Six Congratulations. Kids. Let me say it out the house. Six kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's the caveat right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, so we're empty nesters and we're we're um, enjoying life. And uh, this is a new season for us. And uh, I'm also the owner of Paradigm 360 uh, Coaching and Consulting LLC. I, I co-own that with my business partner, uh, Yvette Hall. And uh, we also own a foundation, a nonprofit uh, as well, uh, where we get an opportunity to do a lot of charitable things for uh, the local Charlotte community uh, and, and other communities at large. So uh, that's a little bit about me. Uh, not a whole lot of, uh, um, you know, sparks and uh, things like that, but just a simple, just a simple life of an entrepreneur. Christina, I would like to ask you, you know, what, what, what were some of those early thoughts that led you into uh, entrepreneurship as a, as a, as a, as a young lady, as a young person, you know, what were, well, why to entrepreneurship? You know, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I um, went to Sacred Heart Elementary School and uh, there was a gentleman who um, visited our, our school from uh, Kaiser Steel uh, in Oakland. And he came to teach each week. He'd show up with a little kit teaching us about business and economics. And one day he took us on a field trip and um, he wanted us to meet um, the CEO of the Kaiser Kaiser Center. I, I hope I'm saying it right because Kaiser has so many different entities. Uh, but uh, anyway, we, we took this field trip, got to the Kaiser Center and uh, went up to the top floor and just seemed like the elevator would never stop traveling. And once we got off the elevator it was door after door after door. And I get there and we open the last door and this woman turns around in this chair and she looks like me. She's an African-American woman and she's the CEO uh, of the organization. And it just blew my mind. I just remember nestling my way through the crowd uh, and and taking up most of her time uh, trying to get an audience. And I think that's that was the the mark for me. I drew a line in the sand that day and said, I want to be like her. I had two amazing parents, gainfully employed, but it, it so, you know, certainly uh, I love them, but she modeled something to me that I had never seen as a young person and as an African-American. That was a rarity uh, in the uh, late 70s to see an African-American woman uh, be the CEO of anything, uh, let alone, you know, the Kaiser, the Kaiser building. So um, 
that kind of started it. And, and from there, um, I continued to um, join an organization called Junior Achievement, went on to win all different types of entrepreneurial awards as a young person. And, uh, and after that, I, I um, spent some time going to college and, and then decided that I really had this entrepreneur spirit in me. I think I had my first business when I was 16 years old. I sold Linnell's Cosmetics. Uh, so I've always had some kind of gig, Richard, something <laughs> I was doing. And, um, and it took a whole lot of failures to get to where I am today as a successful entrepreneur. Uh, but I say all that to say that that's kind of what my spark was. And, um, and not that I couldn't work for anyone, but I, I, my head constantly is in the place of being a visionary. And, and so that, that's, that was really the, what charted my course. That's, that's well, awesome. You're in good company. The, yeah. the best visionary that I've ever met is Ted. And uh, wow. I, I've been, uh, he's been my closest friend for the last 10 years. And if I could give, uh, describe him in one word is visionary. So uh, we're in good company. Well, uh, Rich is being generous because I'm, I'm probably uh, not even the best visionary on our, on our team. That's probably Ken. But you, one thing you talked about failure mm-hmm. and a lot of people, you know, people think about failure in different ways. Uh, for, for some people, it's a reason why they should stop doing something. They look at it as, you know, a reason to quit or a reason to do something else. But how does an entrepreneur, and you specifically, how did you look at failure? How did you relate to it? How did you use it to inform uh, your growth and, your, and just your trajectory overall? You know, I've, I, I use this terminology and it's, it's not mine. It's, it's a widespread uh, uh, term, uh, but failing forward, right? Um, I realized that this is what I'm built to do. And so, um, you know, of course, I failed at a lot of businesses. I've started numerous companies that didn't go very far. I had a company um, maybe what I started about 17 years ago called Nehemiah Training Consulting. It was probably the closest thing that I had done where I really had made a somewhat of a mark, uh, but nothing like what we've done at Paradigm 360. I mean, we've really uh, been able to scale. Uh, I'm in a different place. And I think from, from an entrepreneur perspective, failure is something you have to experience. Uh, so, so one of the things that, that, that I do uh, when I fail I give myself 24 hours to cry. And then after that, you got to get back to it. You know, it's, you know, we recently about a year ago lost a major deal. Uh, uh, it, it really, it was, it was a major deal. I mean, one deal at about close to $400,000 and, um, and we didn't get it and we didn't get it because uh, there was, it was some, um, you don't know what you don't know. And there yeah. were some things we didn't know that we needed to know. We didn't know it. So we didn't get it. I gave myself 24 hours to be mad. And after that, I said, look, that's enough. Let's let's dust ourselves off and 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 let's backfill the hole yeah. that we fell in and get this train moving. And and so as a result of that, we're now back in line to do business at that level in the future. Uh, so, you know, entrepreneurship is something you have to have in you. Ted, it, you're born with it. You, you're born with this gene, and it's it's something that you can't you can't shake it until you do it. Yes, ma'am. I think some of us are cursed with it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's a good curse because it comes with, it, it, it comes with good money and, and it's legal. 
Yeah. The, <laughs> so, so it absolutely. <laughs> when you're talking about failure, uh, just uh, connecting that to my own experience, I know obviously, you know, the, our, our story and, and my story, not, you know, not committing a series of crimes in 1999 is probably my biggest failure, but also uh, what put me in a position to really think about my life and think about uh, those failures and, and what it meant for my future. Uh, what, how was I going to use that? It, it would, it, I could use it as an excuse to give up and, and serve a life sentence in, in mired in mediocrity or to uh, equip myself and prepare myself, surround myself with great people and, and do something meaningful, even in the context of a prison. So, you know, I love, I love hearing when people talk about failure as a good thing, you know, the good that comes from it, the failure itself, you know, may be terrible, but the good that can come of it, if you use it in the right way, I think is, is a powerful uh, tool to have in your toolbox for anyone, not just, not just an entrepreneur, but leaders, especially understanding that the value of failure, what, cause it's about learning and growing. So I love, I love hearing that. I, you talked a little while ago about, uh, some of the things that you guys were doing to give back at Paradigm 360. If you, I mean, if you'd be willing to talk a little bit more, more about that and, and more specifically, why is it important? Why is it important for entrepreneurs in corporate America to, to, to be good citizens, to, to do things uh, that are building community, lifting their community up beyond the traditional narrative of just providing jobs and stimulating the economy? That, that's a good point. First of all, I think every entrepreneur has to examine their why. And my why in Yvette's why is tied deeply to our value systems. And so uh, my entrepreneurship or giftedness and, and, and talent uh, in that space is really a means to an end. Right. I, I'm building, I'm trying to build corporate wealth so that I can be a uh, vehicle to be able to help other people be lifted up. That's part of my value system. And so I won't rest well until I can help organizations like CROP or, or some of the schools that we partner with here in the city. Uh, we, we Just this morning, we, we did a conference, a virtual conference for close to 200 students. Um, and um, last week, we, we did a professional development for, for 50 teachers. And we're constantly, I think we impact somewhere around 3,000 kids a year in terms of the number of kids that we, we reach, uh, we, we, in a sense that we'll grab schools. We do it through doing schools. So we'll, we may take one school and work with them three or four times, but the touch point, right. If you added those up, you know, we, it, it could serve around that number. So we're really committed to making sure that we help eradicate poverty uh, in the lives of people, because you and I both know that one of the things that can be a motivator for crime is poverty. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and, and, and many of us look down on people who make decisions to do certain types of crime. But, but here's the deal. If I, if I get to the point to where I'm hungry enough, Ted and, and Richard, I'm, I'm going to steal some Doritos. Yeah. Now, I'm not glorifying you know it. 
No, I'm not glorifying it. No. I'm saying that's what happens when we have people who are in poverty. Yeah. People sometimes I'm not and I'm not advocating this and I don't think that it's right and, and I'm not justifying it. Mm. But I'm saying that when people don't have an opportunity to become upward mobile, people eventually by the time you get to the seventh or eighth day of not eating, you're going to find a way to survive. And a lot of the things that we see in the inner city uh, is is in particularly around black and brown people has more to do with survival than just an intent to be a criminal. Sure. Amen. We, we get that. And, and we know, uh, like you said, not to uh, diminish anyone's personal responsibility for in, any of the choices that they make or, and, and for us that we made, but just based on our lived experience, you know, between the two of us, we have more than 40 years of incarceration living uh, in a system where people are sentenced to life for stealing uh, out of a grocery store. Uh, pizza. pizza. So we, we, we know that. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm not sure that society understands it at the level uh, on which it's occurring. You know, that those types of sentences you know, and it's, and things have changed now, but, and that's good, but there's a lot of people still serving time under the old mm -hmm. uh, way of thinking, still serving oh, yeah. life sentences for, uh, for crimes that are no longer even, even uh, considered a felony. So that's, that's a, that in California, we, we're, we're very familiar with that. The consequences of that's that, those are the symptom of the problem that you're talking about with a lack of upward mobility. And, and that, and that's, you know, just to give our audience a little bit of insight into some of the conversations that we've been having with you uh, recently, uh, you're an executive coach and you're, you've been talking to us uh, in the last couple months about the value of us going into corporate America and having a conversation about diversity equity and inclusion. And yesterday, I, uh, as I was just preparing for this conversation, I came across this quote from a leader that I have a lot of respect for. He's the founder of IDEO. His name is David Kelly. And he said that the way I would measure leadership is this of the people who work with me, how many wake up in the morning thinking that this company is theirs. And so from the perspective of diversity, equity, equity, and inclusion, this, this, really resonates with the inclusion conversation for me. If people feel like they belong. Absolutely. Uh, and I, and, and it, and I know you've given us a lot of insight into this, this concept. Um, I know you value our diversity. Um, and if you would just be willing to talk a little bit about why this is important. Sure. And I think, and, and I want to, of course, reiterate this a thousand times. I'm not glorifying anyone who does things that are against the law. I'm telling you that people make choices to do things that in, inadvertently bring about a failure because some people are uh, caught between systemic racism uh, and systemic, you know, poverty issues that unfortunately um, keeps them bound. 
And and so from an equity, um, you know, and diversity and inclusion perspective, it's very important that we start to look at how laws and policies are written so that things can be equitable, so that people can get a leg up, so that people like you gentlemen could come uh, out of the prison system and have upward mobility so that you can vote in an election, so that you could have all of um the opportunities that other people have that, um, you know, for whatever reason, privilege was, was had their name on it. There's a lot of American people that privilege doesn't have their name on. And that's not necessarily just black and brown people. That's white people as well. And so I think that diversity, equity, inclusion has, we have those of us who are business owners, we need to be very conscientious that, that the diversity uh, component, of our of our uh, vision statement is is loud and clear that we are inclusive that we are making certain that we help those who have been disenfranchised that's very important and that includes people who are coming out of the prison system who's been reformed and the so-called system has done what it was supposed to do right yeah. and so when you come out and you can't get employment uh, and you can't get housing uh, then what do you want me to do? <laughs> You're setting me up to fail all over again. So sometimes yeah. the system is not designed to help people who need it the most. And and so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a huge component here of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have to do better. We have to do better at the way we um, uh, deal with eradicating uh, poverty in the areas that we can so we can make a sustainable change and difference in the lives of people. Yeah, because all people I, count. I Ted. All people count. I, amen. And I'm, you know, when I, you know, I was uh, blessed, and I recognize that I was blessed when I paroled into a turnkey life. Mm-hmm. I came home and I had a place to live. Um, I had a great roommate, Rich. Uh, <laughs> I, I had, I I'm had, I had some financial support. Um. You know, I was able to get a driver's license, my social security card, a vehicle. And I, and I understand that that is not uh, the norm. That's not the norm. And, and what we're doing, at, this is a shameless plug, Christina. So I uh, just want this is it gives me, me a great opportunity to talk about the importance of, of our own mission. And that is to level the playing field for those who our reentering society and, and our goal to reimagine reentry. And, you know, part of our work, we know, everybody knows it's, you know, it's like uh, common knowledge that people need to be skilled up when they get out. We talk to employers and they say, this is, uh, we would, we we're open to hiring, but people need to come out with a base level of skill. Now we see, you know, this is a, this is a failure of the system. The, the, the California system has made uh, pretty good uh, strides in improving the system, but there's still a lot of people falling through the cracks. And one of the, the re- one of the biggest reasons is they're not skilled up to compete in, in the work uh, in the market, in the work of, they're not competitive employees. They're not some, a, a young person who grew up, grew up with uh, a phone in their hand and is a digital native is a much better choice, practically speaking, 
than somebody coming out of prison who's been in there for 10 years or 20 years and is behind the digital curve. And so part of our goal is to bridge the digital divide. And we, we have, you know, a lot of work to do in getting people skilled up, but just as important, the work that is just as important is what we call employer development. And, and that means that we have to go out and advocate and have conversations with corporate America and let them know about the value. We don't, we're not saying to pity anyone or to give, give anything out. We're, our stand is that there's a third of this country with a felony conviction who have value and they, and you're missing an opportunity to bring value into your company when you overlook them, when you screen them out because of their record. So we think that there is a huge uh, pool of untapped potential for corporate America. And we're, part of our job is to go out and advocate for them. And uh, we think that that uh, fits perfectly into the conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we appreciate, you know, the, the coaching that we're getting from you on that. I personally have learned a great deal from you on that. Um, so there, there is the broader diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. And like you said, there's the, then there's something the, the more specifically there's populations within that group that need specific, uh, support and, and, you know, formerly incarcerated people are only one of one part of that. So I appreciate your thought on that. Uh, you, go ahead. You know, Ted, you, you mentioned re reentry, um, and, and you talked about the components that come with that, uh, from a diverse perspective, there's also a dignity piece, Sure. right? And, and so inclusion and equity says that I have dignity and, and that's important. I, I, you know, Richard, it's important that, that you're treated with dignity and humanity. And, and that's a big part of diversity, equity, and inclusion work is that we help employers understand uh, that you're more than someone who could wash windows and, 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 you know, do odds and ends jobs. You, you know, many of there are gentlemen like yourselves who have countless degrees, more degrees than some people in the professional world. Yeah. Um, and there are people who are not degreed uh, who have read and prepared themselves uh, over the years that they've been incarcerated and they are more than ready to come out and be in leadership roles. Absolutely. And, and we Absolutely. are missing a great opportunity in this whole piece called reentry to add value and dignity to the life of people. Yes, ma'am. But use these people in prison and pay them eight cents an hour so that we could benefit right on the opposite side. So in one sense, we see value when we're getting cheap labor. But we don't see that. But that that does not always translate on the outside to to value into a sustainable wage where people can live decent lives. Listen, everybody wants to be able to pull into their garage, hit the little door, the little garage button, watch the thing roll up, pull a car in, kiss their kids, uh, you know, open up the refrigerator, get get a beverage and sit in their favorite recliner. That's that's what everybody wants. Right. Yeah. And, and the, With a 50-inch TV or 65. There you go. And so I think that uh, we've done a disservice and we've gotten this thing wrong from a uh, perspective of equity. There's mm-hmm. not the same value. 
uh, and we've not placed the value in the places that it needs to be with people who are men and women who are coming out and reentering into the workforce uh, after they've been formally incarcerated. I think it's, it's a shame. And so anything I could do to, to further that movement and show uh, the dignity um, like I don't like the word ex-con. I told Ted that I said I don't like that word. That that's not dignity. Well, you know that's not a that's not a dignified word. Uh, and so we, we got to find ways to be able to present it in a way that people still feel value. I yeah. I, I was blown away. Um, you connected us to a group out there who are on the front lines of workforce development. They're working with formerly incarcerated people. And I was blown away at the level in which they've internalized a humanizing uh, vernacular out there in North Carolina. The, the, the jail, the, I think it was the sheriff refused to call his jail a jail or a prison. And they, they, they talk about their people in terms of citizens. And I love that. And in, in some ways, uh, North Carolina is, beyond where we are in California, maybe they're, we're just beginning to really move in that direction. But there are, there are people out here who still use those terms. Uh, and, you know, frankly speaking, when I was coming out of prison, I, did, I, was, I had been, I had referred to myself uh, in those terms and been referred to for so many years, it didn't seem like a big deal. Mm. But when you, yeah. when, you, when you get out here and you see people being intentional about humanizing people, and treating them with dignity, uh, it calls you up to a new way of thinking about yourself. And there, and that's impactful. And you know, I'm I'm hoping that we can catch up in California too. I'm not. I don't know if all of North Carolina is where you guys are at in Charlotte in terms of that, or at least to you know with the people that you introduced us to. But uh, you guys, at yeah. least in that group in that community, are ahead of us in many ways. And and we look forward to working. <clears throat> with you guys out there on some of those projects. Go ahead, Rich. It's a, it's objectifying language. I mean, I, I experienced it yesterday. I got a, a call from my uh, parole agent and he said that, you know, you, you're going to get a new agent today. Uh, he's taking Northern Sacramento. These guys are taking Southern Sacramento. So I get on the call with, with the new agent and he seems like a pretty good guy, but he goes, you're a lifer, right? So you're one of my lifers on my caseload. And, uh, and what I, what came to me was, no, I'm not a lifer. I did life. Now I'm now I'm free. I'm not life no more. You're you're a lifer. So uh, in his in, from his perspective, you know, it's it's there's still that objectification that until I parole, I'm a lifer and I'm still on life. And um, so it, it it really does change things. The lens that you look to the world through at people. I, I thought I think about a story that Ken shares uh, about the dignity of work that you just talked about. We remember the guys in the chow hall who had to get up at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning to go to work an eight hour shift in a, in a dank chow hall. Um, and they had to work two years before they even made it to eight cents an hour. And Mm -hmm. if they can get into one of those eight cents an hour or 10 cents an hour pay number, or at the most uh, to make $27 a month, um, you know, but everything in that child hall, there's no dignity to work. People are stealing food and stealing vegetables and stealing whatever they can do. But once they got into the prison industry authority where they paid like a dollar an hour at best, 
or 46 cents an hour or 96 cents an hour. And the most that you could possibly make is like $180 a month. And, and there's only be like one or two people in the prison. And even though that's really nothing and it's still to me an injustice, but the, the difference is those guys were up ready to go. They were walking as fast as they could to get to work. They were proud of their work. They would, they would talk about the furniture they were, they were building. If there was overtime available, they would, they would sign up for the overtime because in there, that was more of a livable wage than eight cents an hour, especially after they take, after they take 55% for restitution. So, um, I, I understand that. And I see it out here as well. You know, I went to Jack in the box yesterday and the guy at the, at the windows, like, what's up, man, what you want? <laughs> and versus, versus somebody who's making a livable wage and they might treat you a little bit different. But anyway, that, those, those are some of the contextual stories that come to my mind when I hear that. Yeah. I think that though, listening to the context of the culture of even a uh, employee that will refer to you as a lifer, right? So if, if he worked for me, he'd be fired because at the end of the day, um, you cannot continue to label people. And I think there are some people, not yourself, Richard, but there are some guys that would have internalized that and it would have taken them to a very dark place. Mm-hmm. And so we have a responsibility as a community to make sure that we reform our language so that we can build a healthy culture for people who are coming out of incarceration and so that they can in, uh, reintegrate into society. I can't reintegrate if you are continuously calling me out of my name. I'm no longer, I'm not a lifer. There, that's, that, that goes with the, just within the, from the perspective of the diversity, equity, and inclusion. The inclusion part is an important part. If, if you're a number or if you're something other than your name, it does not feel, if you can't vote, That's right. it doesn't feel like you belong. So the community. I, I would say that the, the way to measure inclusion and just going back to that quote, do, feel, do people feel like they belong? Do they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves? Are they, are they included? And, and that is, uh, that's, and it's more, it moves beyond just the diversity conversation because you can meet the quota. No, absolutely. Yeah. You can, you can meet the quota, but if that's what diversity is, but inclusion and equity is something totally different. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's not any one of those things. It's all of those things together. That's, that's important. So, uh, you know, I look forward, you know, I, I hope that, we have a long future with you and that work. Uh, we're looking forward to that. I want to share a little bit uh, just about with, just with our audience, what you've meant to us over the last few months, Rich talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, but first I almost forgot. Can you, will you catch people up and just kind of uh, tell the story about how we crossed path, we crossed paths and how we came to be in your life. Yeah. My business partner calls me a stalker. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, my husband and I um, happened to have been watching the Lisa Ling special uh, that was aired on CNN. And, um, you know, I'm one of those, I think part of my entrepreneurial mindset 
uh, as an entrepreneur, you got to set goals and you got to be audacious. You cannot think that you can't do what you set out to do. And I think there's a part of me, there's a fight inside of me that says anything I set my mind on, I can do. And that includes how I met you all. Um, I was uh, watching the show and I was just immersed in it. And almost to the point that at the end, if Jason hadn't have, you know, got vindicated, I was going to be mad. Like I was, you know, I was ready to tear some stuff up, you know, I, I'm thinking <laughs> this thing can't end the way I think it's going to end. And, and, and thankfully it didn't. But at the end, I, I told my husband, I said, I got to find these guys. So he said, what? What you going to do? I said, I got to find them. He said, they're on CNN. How you going to find them? I said, I told him, I said, William, I'm going to find these gentlemen. And so um, the next day, it just bothered me all night. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. And I, I love the Lord. I hope it's okay to say that on this yes, platform. Ma'am. Absolutely. And, uh, and that night, I remember praying and asking the Lord to allow our paths to cross because I wanted to expand the kingdom uh, through serving you. And whatever I could get f- to you, but I knew that I could get something from you, which was wisdom. I was just amazed in what you all had established. And so um, the next day I set my uh, set my day up and I started Googling and calling around and uh, ended up calling the Palmer School, talked to a wonderful woman. And, uh, you know, it was kind of crazy because it's like, who does that? Like, who calls a school asking for people who, you know, were formerly incarcerated? And, uh, you know, I know it kind of probably took her by surprise. And I said, ma'am, this is not I'm not you know, I'm not crazy or spooky. Please trust me. And it was a blessing that in a way that it, it was a Catholic school and not a public school. because They probably would have hung, hung the phone up in my face. <laughs> and um, and so I started leading with, you know, your normal sales call. I, I went to Catholic school and I went to Sacred Heart, you know, and so yeah. she and I found this common interest. And and then, you know, I started pouring my heart out and she started pouring her heart out about how awesome you all were. And um, so we hung up and then she called me back and she said, you know, I've been thinking about our conversation. And she said, um, would you like to be on um, a, um, a webinar tonight that we're having? And she said, you know, this person going to be there and this person's going to be there and uh, you won't be able to speak, but you can listen. And I, you couldn't tell me nothing. I, you you could have sold me for a penny and had change after that. I was, I was excited. And so then right before that happened, Jason sent me this email because she had contacted Jason and told Jason uh, Bryant about the conversation. And I thought, it's less than 24 hours since I said that prayer. And um, mm-hmm. the next day, we uh, Ted was out of town. And we jumped on a Zoom, Richard and Ken and Jason. And um, I, remember I, that. I couldn't, I, I think I broke down and cried on the, on the call because um, I shared something with them um, that was very personal so that they knew um, that I had some buy-in. Uh, the first thing I said was I want to come with a donation. And so, because I wanted them to know that I was really, really, um, earnest about what I, this wasn't just, I wasn't playing. I I was serious about it. And then the second thing is we, it became so transformational and so authentic. Um, I I shared something very deeply and meaningful for my own life with them. And I think that really gave us a a level playing ground. And um, 
I knew that we had to do something um, to to continue to um, partner with you, to walk alongside you. I, I wanted to make sure that as you all have already began the, the, the art of paying restitution, uh, what what could I pay back in your life as a reward of saying thank you for working so hard on your personal lives, your personal convictions? Uh, I needed you to know that somebody heard your story and, and felt your heart. I needed you to know that you weren't a convict to me. You weren't an ex-con, that you were Ted and you were Richard and you were Jason and Matthew and Ken. I needed you all to know that a just man can fall seven times, but he can get back up again. There were so many things that I wanted to communicate. And I feel like uh, I am on assignment to do whatever I can do uh, to be a blessing in you all's life because you all have are the portrait, the portrait of redemption. Well, thank you. You all are the thank portrait you. of redemption. And if the California state prison system has ever done anything good, if they have to look or think about it, they could look to you all. That's and generous. They, and they can see that good can come out of our of the system that is designed to to do justice right we we do want justice we want all of us want to go to a place and know that justice can be served when it needs to be served but we also want to know on the opposite side of that that after the justice has been paid that people have a right to re-enter life and society and be treated as as well as uh, uh, those of us who never had to go through that situation, you all need to be treated the same way. And so I just, you know, at that point, every time I would get on the phone with you all, it would take me like, you know, 20, 30 minutes to power down. I'd sit in my chair and say, how could I live up to uh, the testimony that, that these guys have? I, you all have a book out. I encourage your audience to read it. Men Built for Others. I read the book in one sitting. One sitting, never, never, ever, never put the book down because I was so captivated at, at what you all and not just you all. You are just the face of many men who are incarcerated, who have done wonderful things behind bars. Amen to that. Right. Yeah, we, yeah. It's, it's, it's not just you all. There's many men. There's yeah. many men who've who've said, you know what? I'm going to change my life. I can't change what I did, but I sure can change my future. I, I can't change who I used to be, but I sure don't have to be who I was last week or the month before. Right. And they've made a line in the sand and they've walked a different walk and they've talked a different talk. And for that we need to be willing to accept the change and the transformation that comes out of our prison system when we see it. I, I appreciate so much the way that you just uh, shine a light on something that's very important to us and something that we say as often as possible. We never want people to think that there is anything special about us. Uh, like we're, and what I mean is that we're unique in, in, the, in the way we're that we've transformed our lives. There's nothing special. There's lots of people. Not everyone has had our platform. Not everyone has had some of the opportunities. Not everyone has, you know, been blessed to be on the same, at the same facility with the, with the right guys 
at the right time to do some of the things that we've done. But as individuals, there, there's nothing unique about us. There's a lot of guys, men and women, men and women on the inside who are as driven, uh, have as much vision and are going to do great things when they get out. Uh, so long as the opportunity presents itself and, and, and many of them will do it in the, in the face of not having, uh, you know, there being no clear path of opportunity in front of them. They'll, 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 uh, make that opportunity. They'll create those opportunities for themselves. And there's a lot of people on the inside who have, you know, innumerable gifts, an indefinite number of gifts and are going to add value to society when they get out. So it's important. Maybe we don't say that enough. I mean, we say it a lot, but I don't know if you can ever say it enough. And uh, that you recognize that means a lot to us and appreciate it. I want, I want uh, our listeners to know uh, just some, this is a, uh, Christina is a special, special woman. Uh, She's a, an incredible leader as I think we, we've heard. Uh, But Rich and I, Rich, uh, could you just share a little bit about some of the, uh, what she's done for us professionally and personally. Uh, and then I'll, and I'll, and I'll go after you you know, I'll pick up the scraps, anything that, that I miss. I want people to know. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You know, Christina talked about that, that first call, the zoom call that we had with her, Jason, Ken and I, and, and, and Yvette. <clears throat> and uh, I remember that call and I remember her saying that she wanted to give a donation, but not only that, I want to invest in your lives. And, um, you know, that for, for me, uh, that hasn't been a, a regular thing for most of my life to have people come alongside and, and say that I believe in you. I see you for who you could be. I'm proud of you. Um, um, just the, the full package of the mother, the mentor, the leader, um, uh, the world changer and saying, uh, I want to invest in you guys. I see something. And I believe that, that you saw something in us that, uh, well, we're, we're driven and, and, and visionary, but you saw things in us that that, that um, we may have not even seen for ourselves and in ourselves. And um, I really appreciate, and all of us really appreciate as a team, the way you've invested in us with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. And, you know, Ted, Ted, Ted brought those, those things up, you know, articulated them. And I said, not only that, not only with our Ted, with our time, with your time, and, and your team's time, uh, your talent and your treasure, but also saying, and here's these opportunities. Let me introduce you all to some opportunities. And I just think of what, how would the world be just a much better place if leaders and executive coaches, and I know I think about your, your tagline for Paradigm 360, building world-class leaders one at a time, you know, and, and if they were to look upon people as, as they could be, and say, I'm going to invest in them. And as I'm investing in them, I'm going to see opportunities for them. I mean, most people are trying to, you know, worry about themselves, and, and uh, or many people are. So, um, yeah, those are that's, that's some of the things that, that, that Christina has uh, shared and, and, and been doing. But the, the great thing is she took our team through a, uh, about an eight-hour eight uh, training session with all of us and had us tricked us a little bit in the best of ways where we did this test that was uh, anonymous <laughs> to, to, to as a team, a team building where 
uh, a bunch of questions, maybe a hundred questions were asked about our team. And then we all answered in certain ways. And then once we came to the actual meeting for the eight hour training, the, we got to see the results. Um, and she really lays it out in this, in this program. And I know it was the, with the acronym disc, mm-hmm. um, uh, through Patrick Lencioni's, uh, trainings and, what it did was it got to, we got to see all of our personality types and then those things that we answered anonymously, we were able to say, she teed us up with some questions like, do you remember who answered this way? Would anybody be willing to share if they answered in this way? I'm like, Oh yes. All right, here we go. That was me. And the feedback I have is, and what it did was it got, it helped us because we're busy, we're working hard. Yes, we love one another, we're friends, we're brothers. And, and, and at the same time, we're working hard and we're learning and we've been gone for 20 years, but it got, gave us an opportunity to reconnect with one another. It gave us an opportunity to be authentic about with, with, with the areas where, we're, um, where we could see improvement, the areas where we may be failing. Uh, gave us an opportunity to fail forward you know, um, and it gave us opportunity to do the 24 hour thing, you know, go, like you said, uh, I'm one of them guys going to hurt a little bit longer, <laughs> you know? So, uh, 24 hours, my, you didn't used to be enough to, to experience, uh, you know, my pain and grieving, but, um, you know what? Feedback is great. We used to say feedback is the breakfast of champions. Oh, uh, so she invested in us, uh, with our team building training and these trainings aren't free. You know, these are things that people would pay eight thousand, ten thousand dollars or more for, uh, uh, for their team. And uh, you know, and uh, not only that, but we've now be, um, been on the road uh, with. I think we're going to start our third session later on this afternoon um, uh, for our coaching training. And we 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 spent time on the inside learning on, on a little bit about life coaching and transformational coaching. But it was nothing like this, and 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 the way that your program, the, the manual, the way that you take the content from the manual and talk about it through the context of your own life and your team's life, and and the way that it's written, which has given us the opportunity to learn as coaches, um, hands on hands on training, get to do um, it's masterful uh, pra- practice runs, and and also you know, you're taking us through a three month program to become certified coaches and, and certified life coaches and, and transformational coaches. And, you know, it's really a, a priceless gift to me. Uh, I'm just grateful and humbled. Um, you know, so, uh, there's only a couple people in this world that I have on my top five, um, of the people that I just really look to as mentors. And when they talk, I, just, I talk a lot. So, yeah, I, I close up and I listen because you know it's my grandpa and Ted's dad, and um, and and you become one of those in a very short amount of time. And it's I think it's because of the way you just cared about us and embraced us, and uh, set us on a path that will impact our lives for the rest of our lives. So I just want to say thank you, Christina. I want to say thank you to you all. I'm I am um, godly proud of you, gentlemen, uh, and the example. You know, every now and then God will create uh, and put some super on a person's natural. We see that in guys like C.S. Lewis and, you know, just guys that 
have made great contributions to the gospel or Martin Luther King's and, you know, guys like Gandhi, who, right, stood for peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mother Teresa, right? Every now and then we'll get people who we see something, you know, extraordinary, extra extraordinary. That's what God has done with you all. Well, there's a lot of gentlemen who are and women who are incarcerated who are doing some great things in their personal lives for change and transformation and to pay back the restitution. But I think that he has taken something uh, of a, a, a print that he is kind of doing something wonderful with you all. And, and he's positioned you and given you a platform and I can't do anything but support that. I'm so proud of you, Richard. I'm so proud of you, Ted. Um, your audience have no idea the, the hours that you all work, the endless hours that you work, the, the, the 12, 13, some of you work in 15 hours a day um, for others, for other people, because you're men, men built for others. So I, I, I can't think of doing anything more than I, I, there's, I can't do enough, Richard, to, to, to c- come alongside and champion that. So you guys are a rare breed that we only get a chance to see uh, maybe once in a lifetime. There's some leaders that, that you, you, you'll come across great people, but then there's leaders that, you know, they're the goat and you guys are the goat of reentry. Well, right? we love that. Appreciate and, and, that. And I, I, I mean that from, from the depth of my heart. Thank you. And you said something, Richard, and I'll, I'll kind of I'll defer to Ted after this, but I've always told my children, the top five people in your life, the top five people you text, the top five people you call, take a look at where they are in life, and you'll see your net income. You'll, nice. see, you'll see your net set of values you'll see the way that you net out in culture. And you and when you talk about Ted and Ted's dad and the other gentlemen being in your top five, the reason you're experiencing the success is because there's nothing about other than success around you. And that's what our, our guys and, and our young ladies coming out of the system, those are the things that they have to do is really be able to see themselves with a top five, with a circle of people who are trying to go directionally in the same place that they're trying to go. Love that. Love that. Uh, I think Rich, he didn't leave me much meat on the bone as far as just talking <laughs> about what you've done with us and for us. But I want you to know that I, I appreciate you. I know that uh, just so the audience knows right now, the one thing she's teaching Ken and I is how to close the deal. Uh, <laughs> close the deal, Ken. Ken, close the deal. Make the ask, Ken. <laughs> So we're, we're, we got that in front of us right now. We're going to work on that. Uh, how, how can people, uh, if they want to look you up, where they find you, Christina? Uh, our, our corporate consulting is Paradigm360Consulting.com. They can look us up on the web, uh, Paradigm360. Uh, if our, our foundation um, that is a Christian ministry arm is Paradigm360Foundation.org. And uh, we have a app in the app store called the Global Leadership 360. 
Uh, again, it is a Christian platform, so I, I don't want to give anybody any surprises. Uh, if that's not if that's not what floats your boat, but if it does, uh, check us out in the Apple and the Android uh, platforms. Uh, but most of all, uh, I, I before you don't even think about sowing into our foundation. I'd love for you to sow in the crop and. Uh, I'm sure Ted and Richard will tell you how to um, make some type of financial support and contribution or gifts and talents to the crop organization, because this is where my heart is right now. And so I defer all gifts or anything that anyone wants to send our way. I would like for them to do that for crop because the work that you all are doing in the state of California and across the country is unprecedented. Thank you, Christina. Richard, the host, Brother, I'll let you close this out. Yeah, definitely. As uh, you know, Christina is very gracious. Uh, but um, yeah, definitely visit her website. They, they, I have never been a part of a training that is so impactful. Um, if you have a nonprofit or a business and you need coaching training, you know, I just encourage you to go to go to her website. Is it Paradigm360Consulting.com? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes. And, uh, and just check them out. It's a state-of-the-art website. The very first thing you see is brilliant. And they are about their business of building world-class leaders one at a time. And I aspire to get there. If you want to reach out to us at CROP, I mean, de- definitely croporganization.org. We want to encourage you to visit us, see what we're doing, see, see the latest um, of the work we're doing to reimagine, reentry, um, to restoring lives and healing, and healing communities is our tagline. We are, as Christina shared, we're serious about it, and we, we, we just care deeply about our uh, formerly incarcerated brothers and sisters, about the currently incarcerated, and um, we found the holes in, in what's not working with transitioning out here, and we believe we plugged the holes, and we believe that we're, we're onto something major here, and we'd love your support. Again, you can visit us at croporganization.org. If you'd like to visit us on social media, you can go to our Facebook at Creating. Uh, restorative opportunities and programs, Instagram, uh, crop organization, LinkedIn at crop organization and on Twitter at uh, crop organization one. We appreciate you uh, following us, subscribe here to this YouTube channel at the prison post. And uh, thank you so much for uh, tuning in today. Again, we got a podcast going out every Wednesday, every Wednesday. And the last series that we've been doing is, is interviews with those who are currently incarcerated and hearing their transformational stories, but it's good to be back also on with the video cast here on YouTube. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been another episode of the prison post. Great to have you, Christina. Thank good you, Christina. See you, brother thank you so much, gentlemen. Listen, my time right. is up. I thank you for yours. I'll see you yours. all at the top. <laughs> all right. All right. That's it. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.